Welcome to the First Century Church Podcast. My name is Stephen Wilhoy, and I'm the lead pastor at First Century Church, and it is an honor to have you with us today. The goal of the podcast is simple. We want you to be encouraged, challenged, and inspired to go further in your faith than ever before. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website, firstcenturykc.com. And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. So we're continuing a series, we're going through the Bible this year, and we are in a smaller series called Dynasty. We're looking at the first three kings of ancient Israel. So the last three weeks, we have talked about the first two, uh, King Saul, the first king of Israel, and then King David, the second king of Israel. This week and next week, we will focus on King Solomon, who is David's son, the third king of ancient Israel. And we're going to focus on his life a little bit today through his writings. So Solomon is credited with writing three books of the Old Testament, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. So we'll focus on those first two today, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Uh, hang with me while I go get something real quick. There's a theme to today. Um, let me see if I can get it. There's a theme to today, and I want to share it with you. In the words of Mr. T, today we're going to talk about, I pity the fool. Let's see if I can get this not stuck. There we go. So, I pity the fool. Did I do that right? Was that good? Okay. For the pictures? Okay, everybody get your phones ready. I'll give you 10 seconds to get your phones ready, and I'm not waiting any more, one more second than 10. All right. Five, four. Three, two, I pity the fool. I even held the pose for you. So. so Proverbs and Ecclesiastes are all about wisdom. But they also juxtapose the idea of being a fool. We'll talk about that today. Uh, so Proverbs and Ecclesiastes are wisdom literature and they highlight this distinction between wisdom and foolishness. And Solomon personally knows all about this transition from one to the other. So if you don't know the story, Solomon, when he was first becoming king of Israel as a young man, he had a dream. God came to him in a dream, and he said, I'll give you anything you ask for. What do you want? And Solomon could have asked for anything, and he asked for wisdom to lead God's people well. So because God said that he asked for wisdom and not riches and wealth and fame, he was going to give him wisdom and riches and fame on top of that. So Solomon has supernatural wisdom. People, like he has these seminars and people, other leaders come to his seminars. Like other leaders and kings and queens will come and see how wise he is and hear his wise teachings and sayings. And he spreads this wisdom all over the region. But also, as we said, he had immense wealth. Let me give you one example of Solomon's immense wealth. So it says, this is in, in Kings and, or I'm sorry, in Samuel and also in First Chronicles. It tells us that each year, apparently Solomon had these gold mines. So it says each year, Solomon collected 25 tons of gold. I did the math on currently what gold sells for per ounce, and that would mean every year in our today's economy, just in gold alone, every year, Solomon would bring in $1.536 trillion every year in just gold. Now, he owns other things, lots of animals, lots of land, lots of property, lots of other stuff, and just that alone, he's a multi, multi, multi-trillionaire. So, lots of wisdom, lots of wealth, however... 
Solomon, in his later years, became a fool. He went from wise to fool. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But what he did is he ignored his own advice. Maybe you've done that before. That's like the most foolish thing you can do. It's not just any, it's anyone's advice. It's your own advice that you fail to take heed of or headed of. Or if you see the office, you get that joke. Um, it cost him and it cost the nation of Israel, as we will see when he became a fool. So I think that we can learn something from Solomon's life and his writings in both Proverbs and Ecclesiastes uh, to not be a pitied fool. Okay, I'm not going to wear this the whole time because it would be too distracting. Probably. Huh? Do you want it? Yeah, here. Here. Actually, Proverbs 1 verse 7 talks about wisdom being like a gold chain around your neck. So you are very wise right now. That's a lot of wisdom I just imparted to my wife there. No, it's not chocolate or gold. It's the worst of both. It's neither. I fooled you with my wisdom. So Solomon, wise, but became a fool. So let's look quickly at what a fool is. Let's look at a, what I would call a biblical definition of a fool. Here is how I think in terms of Scripture. Now, this is not like a verse in the Bible, but the, the truth of Scripture would tell us a fool is this. A fool is someone, it's culpable blindness to reality that leads to destructive choices with devastating outcomes. That's the, the definition of foolishness. Culpable blindness to reality that leads to destructive choices with devastating outcomes. Now, this is obviously what we don't want to be. We do not want our lives to be described in this way. So what we'll look at today is how do we avoid that? How do we avoid being pitied as a fool? So what I don't want to do, though, is say, hey, don't do this, don't do that, don't do that all morning long. So instead, we're going to flip it and look at what wisdom is, which is the opposite of this, and what that looks like. So I think what we will see, we're going to see three things today from the book of Proverbs overall and also Ecclesiastes of what wisdom is. So here's the first thing that wisdom is. So if we don't want to be a fool, we want to be wise, here's the first thing we need to know. Wisdom is knowing what I don't know or really admitting that there are things I don't know. That's the first step. You have to start there, or wisdom means nothing to you. Wisdom will do you no good if you think you know everything all of the time. And this is the theme of both Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Now, if you've read them, or if you do read them, you will notice they sound very different, but they have a theme running through them. So the, the main theme of Proverbs, as you read it, is this idea that I can't know everything. That's why I need the wisdom found in the book of Proverbs. I can't know everything. Now, it seems more optimistic and upbeat. There are little pithy sayings that give, obviously, a lot of wisdom to your everyday life. And then Ecclesiastes seems to be much more pessimistic. When you read it, he, he starts out by saying, everything is meaningless. All is meaningless. There's no point. There's nothing new under the sun, and life is just terrible and long, and you work all your life to not enjoy it when you're old and frail, and then you die. That's the book of Ecclesiastes. I just saved you like an hour and a half of reading. That's what he says. You should read it, though. But there's the same theme. It's the other side of that theme, though. So again, Proverbs is, I can't know everything. The theme of Ecclesiastes is, I can't control everything. That's really the theme of what he's saying in Ecclesiastes. He talks about the pressures of life and the things that, you know, weigh you down, trip you up, and the people that fail you, and, and you know, all the work that you do, and what do you get for it, and all the treasure that you have, you die, and then you can't even take it with you. Like, what's the point? But what he's trying to get to is you can't control everything in life. 
So we need wisdom to navigate what that means. Is life really meaningless? He's not really saying that, as we'll talk about before we're done. But that's what, how Proverbs and Ecclesiastes sort of work together. So I want to look at this theme of wisdom in Proverbs at the very beginning. Proverbs, he, Solomon writes this. The first uh, nine chapters are basically a father talking to his son. So we don't really get into actual the sayings of Proverbs till chapter 10. The first nine chapters are setting us up for why Proverbs is important, why we should read it, what the value is from it, what we gain from reading it. So he starts out at the very beginning of Proverbs 1 with the theme, the point of Proverbs. Here's what he says. These are the Proverbs, uh, Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, the king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline, to help them understand the insights of the wise. Their purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just, and fair. These Proverbs will give insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young. Let the wise listen to these Proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance by exploring the meaning in these Proverbs and parables, the words of the wise and their riddles." But as we said at the beginning, the only way that Proverbs works and is effective in the way it's intended is if we know what we don't know. We admit there are things that we do not know and cannot know, and so we have to seek out wisdom. We seek out the wisdom, the wise sayings, not only in Proverbs, but in the people around us, as we'll talk about here this morning. So we already gave a biblical definition of fool, but so now we see what wisdom is at the beginning. But let's look at how easy it is to become foolish by looking at sort of maybe a simpler definition of a fool here real quick. So here's a second definition of a fool. It may, it, it's the same as the first, just maybe easier to, to comprehend. So another definition of a fool that we'll look at for a second is being completely wrong but absolutely certain. That's a good practical definition of a fool. Being, abs- be, being completely wrong, but absolutely certain. And when I say practical, I don't mean by that to say that the biblical definition is impractical. This is just an easier way to maybe condense what that larger definition says. And maybe you know someone that fits that description. Completely wrong, but absolutely certain. And maybe that's been you, if you're honest. There's actually this psychological phenomenon. It's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. And it's named after these two uh, psychologists who studied this sort of phenomenon, uh, David Dunning and Justin Kruger, the Dunning-Kruger effect. And it's this idea. It's a self-overestimation, I can't read, a self-overestimation of your own knowledge or competence in a certain area or field. So the Dunning-Kruger effect is an overestimation of your own knowledge or your own competence in a certain area or field. Basically, you think you know more about something than you really do or you try to pass off that you are more skilled or competent in a certain area than you really are, and you try to make up for your weaknesses. Sometimes we know that we're doing this. We'll talk about it in a second. Sometimes we just don't. We don't know what we don't know, or we don't realize that we don't know what we don't know. It's sort of misplaced confidence or self-delusion in a way. Let me give you a couple of examples. It's like me, who has some skill at playing basketball, showing up to an NBA, Jackson says no, but he, I beat him all the time, um, it's like me going to an NBA arena and saying, all right, I'm ready. Let's ball. That's, that's what that is. It's self-delusion. And it would be like if they were to say, okay, you know, and I show up and I just get totally schooled. But in the end, I tell myself, you know, I hung in there. I held my own. That's this effect. It's an overestimation of my knowledge or skill in this area. Uh, another example would be like this. 
I know more than my doctor because I looked it up on WebMD. <laughs> That's what we're talking about. I go to the, you know, I go to the doctor finally because I can't figure it out, and, and, and the doctor says, you've got this. And I say, no, 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 I, I Googled that, and I'm pretty sure it's not what you just said it was, even though you have tons of experience and years of training and all this education I don't have. I, I'm going to go with my own self-diagnosis. Next, I know, I'll, I'll send you the bill for my help in the mail. You know. That's sort of what we're talking about here. So there was actually a follow-up study. This, this research is fairly new, but there was a 2018 follow-up study that said the one area in which this happens more often than any is with politics or current events. People think they know more about this topic, like the filibuster, you know? I heard on the news, so now I'm an expert on what the filibuster is in the U.S. Senate. And so you start talking to somebody, and they may know more than you, but you try to pass it off like you, you're trying to maybe impress them. But actually what you're doing is looking more foolish to them. It's sort of what's happening here. So this happens all the time. So we try to do this, I think, if we're knowingly doing it, to, again, to, not to appear foolish to someone or to impress them, but all the while it's doing the opposite. We are appearing more and more foolish all along. So actually what we see here is wisdom is saying, I don't know, sometimes. That's, those are scary words to say. That's a big thing to admit sometimes. I don't know the answer to that question. I don't know really this topic like I'm trying to project that I do. Saying the words, I don't know, is actually the beginning of wisdom here. And that's because when we say that and admit that, we can actually learn something. It's important. So here's what Proverbs 9.13 says. Proverbs 9.13, the woman named Folly is brash. She is ignorant and doesn't know it. So in the book of Proverbs, there are three women in this book. So there's wisdom who is personified as a woman. She is full of wisdom. Here we see in Proverbs 9, folly is also another woman. And then Proverbs 31, the final uh, chapter of Proverbs, talks about the virtuous woman. So we have wisdom, folly, and the virtuous woman are the three. Now we'll talk about, if you don't know, Solomon was kind of girl crazy. So it makes sense that all of the characters in Proverbs are women. It makes total sense. And we'll talk about why in a minute. He had a thing for the ladies, no doubt. So what he says here is, listen to lady wisdom. So all throughout the first nine chapters, he's been talking, again, father to his son about wisdom in terms of being a woman. He's saying, listen to her, follow her. She will guide you the way you want to go. She will give you what you need for life. And then he says, but there's also another woman. Her name is Folly, and she's very enticing. And she says what you want to hear, and she, you think what she's saying is true and accurate, but it's going to lead to destruction because she is ignorant and doesn't know it. She suffers from this Dunning-Kruger effect as well, and we don't want to follow her in that folly to our ruin. Wisdom is knowing what I don't know. Abraham Lincoln said it this way, better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. Wise words from a wise man. Again, saying I don't know is not a weakness. It's not a bad thing. It's not a negative thing. It is wisdom. In many ways, it's the first step toward true wisdom. If I knew what I was doing, I wouldn't be caught in the trouble I'm in. If I knew which way to go, I wouldn't be stuck at this crossroads forever. So because I don't know what I'm doing or where I'm going, I'm going to seek out wisdom. We want to choose wisdom by first acknowledging that we need it. The second uh, thing that we see about wisdom here that we'll spend a few minutes on is this. Wisdom is taking the most productive next step. 
Wisdom is simply taking the most productive next step in your life. This is typically how we view wisdom. Uh, wisdom is going to help me live my life. It's going to help me make decisions. It's going to give me guidance on what to do, what not to do. And that is a big part of what wisdom is. So this is also at the beginning of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 5 through 7, uh, Solomon says this. Get wisdom. Develop good judgment. Don't forget my words or turn away from them. Don't turn your back on wisdom, for she will protect you. Love her, and she will guard you. Getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do, and whatever else you do, develop good judgment. So there are two words that are directly in these verses that I want to look at for a minute, but there's a third one that sort of goes with them. So these three words we're going to look at for a couple minutes here are knowledge, wisdom, and judgment. Okay, wisdom and judgment are... are word for word, in this scripture we just looked at in Proverbs 4. But knowledge is also a part of that, and we'll see why. What we're going to see, though, is that these words are not the same thing. You cannot just put one in for the other. They do not mean the same thing. And so let's look at how they're different and what they get us to in uh, our wisdom that we want in life. So knowledge is the first word we'll look at. Knowledge answers the question, what, in a situation. So knowledge is information. It's gathering intelligence, if you will. It's sort of like the president's you know, daily briefing in the morning. Before the president can make a decision, he needs to know what has happened that I don't know about yet, what is happening right now that I need to know so that I can know then what to do next. You have to have information or knowledge in order to pursue wisdom. So you have to know what has happened, what is happening in order to make a decision. And I will say this, knowledge is important, but it's not everything. And knowledge is important, but it's not automatically wisdom. And here's why. Smart does not equal wise. Intelligence does not equal wisdom. So there might be somebody who, who can run a business like no other, but their personal life is in shambles. So they have knowledge, they have experience in this field, but wisdom in their everyday life, it's just not there. It's the same person almost living sort of like two lives. In this arena, they know what they're doing, they can make decisions, but then when it comes over here, their wisdom just kind of falls out their ears. They don't know what to do. Or someone may appear on the outside to have it all together, but really inwardly everything is falling apart because they lack wisdom. They have knowledge, but they lack wisdom. So these are not the same, but you have to start there. You have to know what is going on in order to know what to do next. So now that we have sort of the info or the intel, the knowledge, that's going to lead to the second word, wisdom, which answers the question, why? So wisdom tries to lead us to the best possible outcome, the, the next most productive step. So we're going to have to ask some why questions along the way to get to our desired destination. Why should I do this thing? Or why shouldn't I make this decision? Wisdom gets to the why, which really is all about purpose. The purpose of a decision. The why of our what. And so it, it's, it's not just living, it's not just existing. It, there's purpose in what we do. And as we'll see here, I'll say it now, we'll see it again later specifically, that foolishness, when we don't ask those why questions, it's a very selfish way to live. Because we're not considering other people in the equations of the decisions that we make. 
We're not thinking about the ripple effect or the domino effect that one single decision that we make can have on future decisions and on other people around us. So we have to ask why in order to gain this wisdom. And we saw that really last week with Saul and David. They didn't ask questions. They just like a bull in a china shop through life, and they make mistake after mistake after mistake, and it costs them big time. We'll see that Solomon, unfortunately, does a very similar thing. So we have to ask these why questions in order to gain wisdom. But Solomon, again, in Proverbs 4, he says, get wisdom, but he also says, develop judgment. So that's the third word we'll look at here for a minute, judgment. Judgment really answers several things, and it's sort of the last thing to make that step. So judgment will first ask how and when. So now that I have knowledge of what's going on, what has happened to lead me to where I am, and now that I've sort of thought things through a little bit and I sort of have an idea of what the next step might be, now I have to use good judgment to execute that decision. So I have to ask what steps are involved in this decision, in what order should I make those decisions to have the outcome that I'm looking for? Is it the right time to make this decision? It may be the right decision to make, but judgment says, is it the right time to make that decision? Those are very important distinctions that we must make. A cost-benefit analysis of this decision. What is it going to take to pull this off? And do I think right now, where I am, I can do that? That's good judgment. Make a pros and cons list, that sort of thing. And then based on all of those factors with our judgment, we will then make a move or wait and then make a move. We'll either take that next step and whatever it is in life, or we will wait with our good judgment until the right time comes to make that move and take that step. There's one other thing, though, that judgment does, and I think it maybe is the most important thing. It's the pulling the trigger part on decision-making. Part of a good judgment is having the will to see that through. Having, having it in your gut, having that courage to say, okay, let's do this thing. Because you can have the best plan, you can have the most thought-out plan, you can have uh, the most purposeful plan, you can have all of the charts and graphs and all the reasons why I should do this right now for, for these people and for the good of all around me, but if you don't actually do it, then we've done nothing. Good plan is only as good as the execution of that plan. And so part of good judgment is the will to do it, to take that step, to take that risk, to do that thing that someone says you can't. Well, you know, I've, my wisdom and judgment says um, it's, good, it's go time, so let's go. Let's do this thing. That's part of the judgment that Solomon says that's an important distinction that he makes. He says, get wisdom, right? Seek it out. But he says, develop good judgment. So this is a lifelong process. Sometimes our judgment is better than at other times. Sometimes we have areas of life where we have blind spots, and I, I'm convincing myself this is the right thing to do, and I've made the charts and the graphs work out to make sense when maybe I fudge the numbers a little bit. Sometimes we can override our good judgment. So it ta- we're going to make mistakes. Wisdom does not mean a perfect life. Wisdom does not equal a mistake-free life. We're trying to maybe get there. We're trying to get closer to that, obviously, but there's no guarantees that that's going to happen. There are still, there are still unknowns. There are still, like Ecclesiastes says, I can make the best decision with wisdom and good judgment, but there are things I can't control even if I make the perfect decision, something that blindsides me three weeks later. Well, I thought that was, it was the right thing to do. You were right in doing that, but you can't account for every other thing in the universe. It's going to throw that off. 
So we have to understand, we have to develop judgment over time. It takes a lifetime to do that. But it's, it's imperative that we do that to take the most productive next step. So we know that Solomon had wisdom. He was wise. He was, I guess, the wisest man that ever lived, right? However, at a certain point in his life, as we already alluded to, and as we'll see, he stopped developing good judgment. Or he suppressed his good judgment. Here, let's read what, he, what actually what happened, and then we'll talk about it here for a minute. First Kings chapter 11 tells us the, the life of Solomon, and here's what happens. First Kings 11, starting at verse 1. It says, Now King Solomon loved many foreign women. Besides Pharaoh's daughter, he married women from Moab, Ammon, Edom, Sidon, and from among the Hittites. The Lord had clearly instructed the people of Israel, You must not marry them because they will turn your hearts to their gods. Yet Solomon insisted on loving them anyway. He lacked judgment. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. He lacked judgment, okay? (laughs) And in fact, they did turn his heart away from the Lord. In Solomon's old age, they turned his heart to worship other gods instead of being completely faithful to the Lord his God as his father David had been. Skip down to verse number 9, 1 Kings 11, verse 9. The Lord was very angry with Solomon, for his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. He had warned Solomon specifically about worshiping other gods, but Solomon did not listen to the Lord's command. He lacked judgment. So now the Lord said to him, Since you have not kept my covenant and have disobeyed my decrees, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your servants. I think it's safe to say, if you make the same mistake literally a thousand times, you've lacked good judgment. 700 wives. Now, it's not, here's the thing. This is not saying don't get married. It's just saying don't get married to a thousand of the wrong people. Okay, I think that's, I think that's the message of, of Solomon's life here. Again, Solomon had knowledge. He knew what to do. He had wisdom. He knew why. It's, so God told Israel a long time ago, don't marry these f- people from foreign countries because they'll turn your hearts to their foreign gods. So that's a general thing. Solomon knew that. And then it said he even warned Solomon specifically not to do this, and he still did it anyway. Solomon lacked judgment. And it's this last part. He, he didn't possess the will to do what he knew was the right, wise thing to do. He had the knowledge and the wisdom, but he lacked the will to make the right move or to stop making the wrong move. Like at any point, at like number 616, he could have said, you know what, this is not working out. I don't have to make the same mistake another 384 times, you know, in order to get it through my thick skull here. And that's, here's another, that's another aspect of wisdom that we haven't covered yet, but let's do it quickly. Wisdom is not simply knowing what to do in the future. Wisdom is also learning from our past mistakes to not repeat them. It works two different ways in in chronological time here. So there is intuition or insight for the future, but there's also learning and changing from our past mistakes. So just like we said at the beginning, saying I don't know is wisdom. Also saying I was wrong is wisdom. We talked about that a little bit last week, too. Uh, Saul refused to really repent of his sin. He refused to come clean. He refused to say, yes, I was wrong. I did that. I can't blame anybody else. He refused to show wisdom in that way. Whereas David, who committed maybe worse sins than Saul did, did come clean and confess his sin. He showed wisdom in that. So uh, the danger of 
foolishness, as we'll look at for a second, is that it's very short-sighted. We've kind of alluded that already, that the decisions that we're making, the next step that we're taking, there are steps after that, right? And so if we take the wrong step or don't make the wise decision, it can affect the next step and the next step. It has potential to do that. And we don't live in a vacuum. No man is an island unto himself. And so the decisions that we make also affect other people around us too. And so foolishness is short sight. It just sees what I want and what I want to do, what I think is right, what's good for me, and then we just move on that, and it throws everything else out of balance. It can throw everything else off. And that's what happened to Solomon. Because for Israel, God was the unifying factor of the whole nation. He was the one thing that kept them together. He is literally the glue of this nation. They were nothing before he chose them to be his people. He is the reason they are who they are. And so when Solomon rejects that, that throws everything off. As we saw here, when he turned his heart to other gods and he neglected the glue to held the country together, everything started to fracture underneath. And then when Solomon receives this warning, I'm going to choose someone to overthrow the whole kingdom, that's what happens pretty soon after. Like literally, it's his first Kings 11, the same chapter, at the end of chapter 11, Solomon hires this new young startup guy to basically lead his building project, and his name is Jeroboam. And so Jeroboam doing his thing, working for the king, everything is great. And then all of a sudden, he gets a prophecy saying, hey, you are the guy who's going to lead the rebellion and split this kingdom in half. And he kind of keeps that to himself. He's not going to go spreading that news around, you know. But Solomon sort of catches something. He, see, he puts two and two together, and he tries to kill Jeroboam. So he runs and flees out of the country. So soon after, Solomon dies, and his son Rehoboam, I know, weird names, they're the same, it's confusing, Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, becomes the king. And when he becomes king, and when Jeroboam's in Egypt, and he hears that Solomon's dead, he comes back and basically leads a a workers' strike. He starts a union in Israel, you know, and they say, hey, we're not going to work, and we're going to rebel, and we're going to overthrow the government, and so here's what his son does. His son uh, makes a critical error, and here's the third thing that we'll look at today. The third part of wisdom is asking for help. So here's what his son did not do. He did not ask for the right help. So Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, the fourth king of Israel, he's got this problem on his hand. He's got a big issue he can't figure out. And so he asks first his dad's advisory board. Hey, what should I do? They're the old guard. They've been there, done that. They've seen everything. They have been through a lot together. And they say, Give the people a break. Your dad worked them nearly to death building this temple for God. Give them a break. Give them like an extra week of vacation. Like renegotiate the contract. Do whatever you have to do to kind of appease them. Settle things down. Well, he didn't like that advice very well. So he went to his buds who have no wisdom, who have no experience, who have never done anything in their lives, right? And he asked them, what should I do? And of course, being the geniuses that they are, they say, work them even harder. It's like, hmm, that doesn't sound like it's going to work very well. And it did not work very well. Solomon went with his buddy's advice over the wisdom of his father's advisors, and it led to an actual revolt. The people said, we are not doing that. We're not working for you. We don't approve of what you're doing. And so they rebelled. And so what God had told Solomon came true. This servant ended up leading a rebellion that split the kingdom of Israel in half north and south, into a literal civil war. And that was the last time, for a long time, that Israel 
was their own united people. So here's what Solomon, I think, wished his son would have known. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. Solomon writes this, Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm, but how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. As we said last week, there is strength in numbers in your life. There is wisdom in numbers. Decisions that we face can be very heavy, but if we have a team around us, we can lift those heavy things together. Life is always done better in community for this reason. And the, the important part, again, though, is to pick the right people, the, the people that aren't just always going to say yes to everything that we want to do, the people that aren't just going to say, you know what, you're a genius, you should run the world. Like, I need people in my life that will push back a little bit, even though I may not even like that, I know it's good for me. Even though I want people around me, they'll just say, yeah, you just do whatever you want and have your way, and it's just great, and I trust you. It's like, I need someone that's going to say, are you sure? Just take a second and think. Are you sure that's a good idea? We need people like that in our lives who will be honest and push back, maybe even criticize constructively once in a while. I don't have this here on the screen, but Proverbs 27, 17, Solomon writes, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens his friend. We need that. We're going to get dull if we don't have people around us to keep us on our game, to keep us sharp. And the key is the right kind of help. But who, as we begin to close, ultimately, who does Solomon say that we should go to for wisdom? What relationship is the most important and the actual source of wisdom? It's God. So in Proverbs, again, we see this difference here, Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. Proverbs is very optimistic early on in his writing. Ecclesiastes, later on, he's been through a lot. He's seen it. He's lived it. He's learned the hard way, and he's writing kind of from that pessimistic perspective. But what we're going to do now is, is look at one of the first verses in Proverbs that he ever wrote as a younger man, and then one of the final verses in Ecclesiastes that he ever wrote in his life. We're going to put these two together and see the same theme in these two books. So Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7, Solomon says, The fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. And then Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, here's how he ends everything. He says, that's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. So young Solomon, who is at the fountain of wisdom, he knows everything. God's given him supernatural insight and wisdom. He says the most important thing that you can do to pursue wisdom is to fear God. And then after life has beaten this man to a shell of himself, after he probably knows this is not going to end very well, I've made a lot of mistakes, I've not sought out wisdom, I've lacked good judgment, he still says the same thing. He says you can't control life, you can't predict life, you will mess up in life, life will hit you in the face, it will hit you from behind, it'll try to trip you up, it will try to kill you. But the best thing that you can do to survive this life that I've just described is the same thing I said years ago in Proverbs, fear God. Now obviously this is not being afraid of God, that's not a great way to live, I'm so afraid of him, no, that's not what we want. It's a, it's a reverence, it's an awe, it's this 
idea that I'm going to get from God ultimate wisdom. So I want to kind of maybe incline my ear to what he might want to say. I might want to take what he says seriously. That's what fearing God is all about. Not being afraid, but saying, he, if God is the ultimate source of wisdom, let me just stop and spend some time with him. Let me see what he might want to say to me, what insight he might give me, who he might bring around me to help me lift this heavy load I've been trying to carry for too long on my own. And here as we close is, is the famous verse from Proverbs chapter 3 that kind of illustrates that idea. It says this, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. That's wisdom. That's fearing God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Remember, admit, I don't know everything. That's what that is. In all your ways, submit to him, fearing him, and he will make your paths straight. Let me read that again. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Now, again, don't be confused by this. This is not guaranteeing an easy life. It's that straight path. Well, yeah, the straight path may have, like, you know, roadblocks in it from time to time. There may be, like, you know, thistles and bushes that cloud the way. It's straight, but it's not always the easiest way. But it's the best way because God's leading us in that through his wisdom. He's the source of wisdom. He's not guaranteeing a perfect life or an easy life, but he's guaranteeing through that imperfect life and that difficult life, he gets us through that. He directs us through that difficult life as our true, ultimate, lasting source of wisdom. So that's who we should rely on primarily to guide us in life. So I don't know about you, but I don't want to be pitied as a fool. I don't want Mr. T to point his finger in my face and be talking to me when he says that. So I want to do all that I can. I want all of us to do all that we can to live in, to live under, and to live by God's perfect wisdom. Let's pray. God, I pray today that you would help us to not be fools, but to seek wisdom. I pray that as we just read, we would not rely on our own understanding, but that we would trust you and we would acknowledge you in all of our ways. That's the key to wisdom. That's the key to wisdom. God, may our lives be full of listening and learning maybe listening more than talking sometimes in order to learn. Help us to live that life of humility to gain wisdom. And God, help us over time to develop this good judgment. We will make mistakes. We will drop the ball. We will read things wrong sometimes. We will act out of impulse sometimes. We have to develop good judgment. And your Holy Spirit helps us in that process. He strengthens us in that process. And not only does he do that, but God, I pray that you'd bring people around us to make us wiser people. Help us to seek out those people, those uh, contacts that we need, that we know are sources of wisdom, that we wouldn't run and hide from them out of fear of, you know, I, they know more than me, it's intimidating, and I'm scared to ask for help, or I want to appear, you know, smarter than I am or more skilled than I am. Let's just get over that and say, God, no, bring those people that are going to sharpen me and make me better and help to develop that good judgment so I can find wisdom more easily, more often. God, help us to live this well-rounded life of wisdom, to live in your world, your way, the way of wisdom. And as we do that, it'll bring flourishing to us 
and to others, and ultimately it will bring glory to you. Help us to bring people who are not seen as fools, but people who bring glory to you through living this life of growing in wisdom. I pray you'd impart that wisdom to all of us here today, that even as we leave today and go throughout our week this week, we would sense your wisdom helping us, guiding us, leading us, kind of prodding and pushing us in the right direction, making our path straight to know that we are on the right path because we're following ultimate wisdom. And I thank you for that wisdom that you promised to provide for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.